Hi, welcome to Tabs Two Cents, the show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Tom Mays. Tom is a serial entrepreneur, and he's involved in everything from commodities to NFTs to real estate to coaching entrepreneurs. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tabs Two Cents, the show where we discuss multiple income streams and macro factors affecting the world today. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. No problem. So I thought we'd just start with a brief introduction, what you do, what kind of companies you're involved with, and uh, where you think they're heading. Yeah, absolutely. So four primary focuses at the moment, uh, the first being Squadra Capital, uh, commodity and currency traded fund, primarily focusing on gold, copper, silver, oil, soybean, and wheat. And in the currency markets, USD, CAD, Euro, USD. Second business is a consulting company called Alteza Capital. Uh, in the process of building Squadra Capital, I had a lot of conversations with family offices, venture capital firms, private equity, high net worth individuals looking to, to raise money for that. And they'd say, hey, love what you're doing there. But right now we're looking for real estate or technology companies. Um, and at the same time of having the investment fund, uh, CEOs would come to me and say, hey, are you guys looking to invest in real estate or tech? I'd say, no. But let me introduce you to a family office who is. Um, so that incurred, you know, the opportunity to start Alteza Capital with a, with a contact of mine who does a lot of deal making and deal structuring and fundraising. So we started that company together. Third company is NXT Digital. We partner up with artists in the NFT space and we kind of do a end-to-end solution for them as far as marketing, advertising. Um, dealing with the Discord groups so that they can just focus on what they're good at, which is making the art uh, really exciting. We have a partnership with Aircoins, and we're going to be having a virtual art gallery built uh, in the next couple months, which will be uh, phenomenal for our artists. Uh, fourth business is um, through entrepreneurship. I love to coach and mentor other people. So I have a coaching business. I uh, saw a lot of other coaches doing a lot of the same work that I was. So brought together about 11 coaches to form the Global Coaching Association. And with that, we've got coaches from, you know, PhDs in artificial intelligence to PhDs in international business, um, uh, relationship coaches, spiritual coaches, um, just really qualified coaches. And we're all collaborating together in the association. So those are the four main focuses at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. You are a busy guy, obviously. Yeah, that's for sure. I love it. It comes with having ADD. You got to gotta be doing something new all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. You got to keep yourself busy. So why don't we go ahead and start with Squadra? How come, uh, what brought you guys to the commodity currency industry? And what's that been like lately? Because commodities have got a lot of attention lately based on, you know, the war in Russia and inflation and all the things that are going on on a macro level currently. So in the beginning, we were... I was kind of headhunted because I was doing a lot of sales and had a conversation with with a very, very great trader. And I've always had a passion for investing and trading. And we started having a conversation about forming an investment company together. Uh, Originally, it was going to be wealth management, but regulation is much more strict for that. So we started an investment fund and then we'll, we'll grow into that as we continue down the road. It was huge growth curve to learn all the regulation requirements to be able to launch a fund. Um, very expensive, you know, dealing with lots of securities lawyers and the Securities Commission learned a tremendous amount. 
took us about, I guess, eight to nine months to really, you know, put everything in place, the foundation for the company to be able to launch it. And then we chose the commodity and currency space um, because we wanted something that was going to be very scalable. As soon as you pass about a million dollars in the stock market, you know, you're further limited to you know, the stocks that you can invest into and the companies that you can invest into. The liquidity in the commodity and currency markets is much greater. So you can manage a lot more money and it does not affect your trading style or your positions as quickly as it does in, in the equity markets. So that's why we started in, in commodities currencies. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I think you, you want to be able to scale once you start to build that capital. One question for you about that is I know that Squadra is a performance-based hedge fund. And so I'm assuming there's some fees associated with how well your fund does. How do you stay competitive in such a competitive area? Great question. So we wanted to start with something that was, you know, like you mentioned, completely performance-based. We talked with a lot of investors especially my side of things is very investor relations based and got a lot of complaints with people saying, Hey, Tom, you know, we're okay with you making a bunch of money, but you better be performing well for us. And we don't want you guys to be being paid well, unless you guys are performing well. Um, not that they directly said that, but they indicated that. So we didn't want to have a model that was industry standard, like the two and 20 model where we're charging a management fee, whether we, perform or not. We wanted to create something completely performance-based. Uh, and with that, we created a one and two model with alternating between um, profits between the investor as well as the investment company um, on performance on a month-to-month -month basis. Coming from someone behind the scenes as you are, me being on the other side, looking at investment funds, what's something that we could look out for to know that you know these are relatively cheap fees or a good structure just for people who don't do this every day it can sometimes get pretty confusing when you look at fee structures yeah absolutely really management fees were very popular and they still are but i think they're becoming a lot less popular so anytime that i look for an investment it definitely needs to be tied or you know manager or financial manager or investment fund the performance of the fund and the performance that the manager gets paid needs to be tied directly to the performance. And if you have, you know, great management fees, then it creates a lot of complacency. Then I also believe that the management staff and, you know, the whole company should have a performance aspect to everyone's pay so that there isn't that complacency within the company. Um, so I would keep that in mind. Absolutely. You know, I think that's totally key. Yeah. And something I've noticed is that sometimes these performance fees are pegged to an index or some kind of relative ETF, say. So, you know, if your performance is greater than the S&P 500 by this much, you get a certain percentage. Is that kind of the structure you guys work with or is it more like an overall percentage? Ours is overall. So it's based on a month to month basis. We don't benchmark it to, you know, an index or, or anything like that. So it's directly on a month to month basis. If we perform well for the investors then then we are paid for the performance. Cool. Yeah, that is definitely unique, I would think in some ways, because yeah, usually when I see it, it's like based off something else. And then, you know, if they, if they do worse, they got to catch up and they won't get paid until they do kind of thing. 
Yeah, we have a high watermark incorporated. Again, I would highly recommend, I actually can't recommend anything. This is not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, of course, typical, sure. typical disclaimer, but yeah. you know, a high watermark is really important as well when you're looking into investment funds. High watermark is, you know, to take example with a hundred thousand dollar deposit into an investment fund, the high watermark is set at a hundred thousand dollars. If over a year is say is 40% gain. That $100,000 turns into $140,000. Then the managers can collect a performance fee off of that $40,000 worth of gain. In the next year, if the total capital of $140,000 decreases down to $120,000, then the managers cannot collect any fees. And if they go back up to $140,000, the high watermark is always set at the highest point that that investment or deposit has ever seen. So they do not get to double dip on the profits a second time. They need to surpass that $140,000 to a new high before they're able to collect on any performance. So I would you know, keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah, I think that's great advice, especially with how volatile things can be because you know, when you look on a month-to-month basis, sometimes you have these huge gains, but really you're just kind of breaking even at times. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's, it's, it's about how is the company incentivized, right? Are they incentivized on a trade per trade fee where, you know, they're making money, a lot of financial managers, they, they get paid on a trade per trade basis fee because it's intellectual property. So it incentivizes them to trade a lot, right? Where if there's a high watermark in place and they only are incentivized to perform a new high, it creates a total different aspect. If there's no high watermark in place, then a company can go down and then just go back up, you know, ping pong back and forth between two levels and get paid very well. If the high watermark has a reset period of two years, it's a pretty short time period. So if they take a 40% loss, I saw this with one investment fund particularly, take a 40% loss over a year, and they only need to wait one more year to reset that high watermark at their current level, and then they're going to get performance bonus. Uh, again, going back up, again, that incentivizes the company and the managers and the team in, in not a positive way that I would accept as an investor. So I would keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Actually, just, you know, the subtleties out there are are easy to miss sometimes, especially in the financial world, because it's there's a lot of noise and sometimes you got to dial in on the things that matter when you're looking at funds or other investments. Moving on to Alteza Capital, you guys deal with real estate and technology. What kind of technology are you looking at right now? Uh, right now in the technology markets, I've got a phenomenal business coach who's right on the pulse of the market with technology. So he's really pushing me to learn more about holographic technology, you know, a lot of virtual reality, augmented reality, different communication between, you know, platforms as far as, you know, I, I can't talk about some things, but like, where do we think cell phones are going to go? Where do we think... Um, what just came out was those Ray-Ban glasses where you can speak to your glasses, right? There's a camera in your glasses, you know, where, where's that going to go over the next three, four, five, six years? I look at health technologies as well. So I'm always studying as much as I can about, about technologies. My primary focus right now would be more 
in the augmented and virtual reality and the NFT space and what the NFT space can develop into. I think if you're looking at it from just an art perspective right now, it's it's a very shallow perspective with not a lot of potential. But if you look at it with utility and where it can go over the next three, four, five years, I think it can be very interesting. What do you think could happen with NFTs and VR and the metaverse? It's going to be interesting. I really compare it to, you know, the dot-com era. The internet was coming out. Everybody had a wild, wild idea. And 95% of them failed and the 5% survived. But in any new market, there's extreme volatility and creativity to identify what the true pathway is going to be as it moves forward. So the same thing's happening in the NFT space. There's all of this noise. There's all of this volatility. There is people just fighting tooth and nail to figure out who's going to survive, who's going to be strong, but more is where is this actually going to go? You know, like where is this going to be in three, four, five years? It's not just going to be selling artwork. I'm an advisor for a company right now that's really working on the authentication and verification side of, of the NFT space, because there's issues with cross chain and cross platform trading in the NFT space. So there's so many kinks and so many issues that need to be, you know, ironed out before the space is really going to be able to identify the true the true direction. But I, I, I know there's going to be massive opportunity in this space and identifying it is going to be is going to be crucial as far as NFT integration into augmented reality, virtual reality, potentially, you know, trading assets or selling and buying assets in the future through the blockchain. I think that'll all become more and more commonplace. Yeah, I had a guest on Save on Springer, and he's a crypto guy. He knows, I mean, the guy is a genius in the world of technology and crypto and smart contracts. And I asked him what a smart contract was, and he told me basically it's a digital vending machine. You know, C5 drops you the Cheetos or whatever. So, you know, (laughs) if this, then do that. So, you know, it's just a combination of a bunch of if this, then do that metrics. So, it's interesting that you have real estate and technology grouped together. Do you think that smart contracts will be in the future a way of people it, enabling people to buy homes without, you know, a whole bunch of legal teams because you just get the smart contract. Now it's your house. It's all integrated in there. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think it'll progress that way for sure. I mean, in my opinion, everything is just going to continuously become more and more digital, right? And, you know, the blockchain is an open open ledger, right? Decentralized. So everybody can view it. That is good and bad. I don't know how the banks are going to feel about everything being visual. But yeah, I think moving more into the real estate space and fractional sales. And yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I'm sure that expert that you're speaking with probably knows a lot more about the space than I do. Yeah, well, he knows a lot about crypto and smart contracts and those things. You know, they're just the way that they're built and commission is just kind of like forever. But and anyways, I have to talk to him again about this stuff. But how yes, was the general thoughts? Pretty much like, for example, if you are a musician and you create a song and you and you sell it to somebody via smart contract, they will pay you a piece. And if they sell it to somebody else or somebody else listens to it, you continually get royalties on those media properties. Whereas, you know, with a CD, you sell it once and that's it. 
But with smart contracts, you can program it in to get a little piece of every single time it gets sold or listened to or whatever. So, totally. Yeah. yeah. That's like a the general gist, I think. Yeah, I think that's great. Like the Ethereum network is so expensive with gas fees, but I think the NFT space, blockchain space is totally going to revolutionize like the world of artists, whether it's, you know, artwork like behind me on the wall or if it's, you know, music, because they've just been taken advantage of for so long as far as being able to collect their royalties, right? So, yeah. Yeah, but like he said, once you get that, you know, digital asset verified, then you can't put it on your platform unless you sign the smart contract or however it works. So then that person will get royalties, right, from Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. Right. Because it will have to be the real authenticated version. So, I mean, I think that's how it works, but (laughs) it's not really my forte. But it's an interesting conversation anyways. But yeah, so moving on to NXT Digital then, since we're in the space, what do you guys um, provide for people who want to look into NFTs? So we've got um, three main business verticals at the moment within the company, and we're expanding into into two more with one more on the horizon. Primary focus is just being, like I mentioned earlier, an end-to-end solution for artists, just allowing them to focus on what they're good at. Make the art. We'll deal with the digital upload. We'll deal with the marketing, the advertising, the branding, payments, all of that on the digital side of things. And then the second business vertical is we are going to be looking at releasing our own artwork, but that's really not a primary focus. The third vertical is we have access to digital art frames. So we're going to start exploring more into that business vertical with selling digital art frames. I think that's, a, that's going to be a massive market with people having digital art frames all over their house. And then they're able to swap out the artwork depending on the season or depending on, uh, you know, a new owner or, you know, different friends are coming over. They can swap out the artwork, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and then we are launching a virtual art art gallery in, in virtual reality at the moment, partnered up with Aircoins for the virtual art gallery. And I just saw some renderings today of what it's going to look like, and it's going to be sweet. I'm super excited for that. So we'll be able to display our artists' artwork within the virtual art gallery. People will be able to walk around and view the art pieces. They can go on through a web browser um, on their laptop or their computer, literally just like you're an avatar, you know, running around this art gallery. So again, I, I really think the future is, is more and more going to be digitalized. So, you know, being able to see some very, very high-end paintings, but a digital version, you know, instead of paying a hundred bucks to go to an in-person art gallery, you pay $20 for the weekend to view a virtual art gallery. Um, so really taking advantage of the potential opportunities in, in the NFT space. So that's what we're working on with NXT Digital. Cool. Yeah. So like when you say digital art frames, it's just essentially, you know, a canvas that you can flip through different NFTs on or or whatever. Like, cause I know I have a friend who bought a Samsung frame. Have you seen that TV? It's like, it looks like a photo. It looks like a picture on your wall, mm-hmm. but then of course it's a TV when you turn it on. So is that kind of what you guys are looking into? Yeah. Yeah. We've got two different ones that we're looking at one is you know a screen that you put on the wall um but the the more advanced one is going to be holographic technology so there's the frame and then you have a holographic image of whatever you want within the frame 
Are there artists out there right now making holographic images? Well, with holographic technology, you should be able to take any image and then project it. What do you know about that technology? I don't. I li- I know literally nothing about holographic technology. Yeah, it's it's quite new to me. I'm in the process of learning about it. I know it's much much further along than than I know about. I, you know, I I know like very 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 limited amount of it. Um, but I'm really excited because you know the world's going to move towards holographic technology, and we're going to be able to you know, be in meeting rooms holographically instead of being on Zoom calls, so. Yeah, do you think that'll be, like, sort of an augmented, like, a an advanced Pokemon Go kind of thing? Or do you, like, with glasses rather than your phone? Or do you think it'd be just, you know, holograms you see with your eyes? So, in the, like, augmented reality would be with, like, a VR set, right? Or where you're able to to move around in in the metaverse, per se, but... I believe the technology over the next, say, five to ten years, we'll be able to just see it with our with our eyes. So moving on to your fourth business, <laughs> let's count it for Global Coaching Association. So you guys work with entrepreneurs. I wonder if you could just go over maybe a process for people in a couple different stages, say somebody who's, you know, maybe just thinking about starting a business, maybe somebody who has a business who's stagnated. And then maybe somebody who's looking to get to the next level. I wonder if you could provide some advice, some lessons learned for those people. I love to build businesses. I love technology. I love new things. But true, like significance and fulfillment in my life is not going to be from, you know, building a company. It's not going to be from making money. It's going to be from helping other people accomplish their goals and building strong relationships and helping other people overcome limiting beliefs. So that's why I'm so passionate about coaching and mentorship. Um, I've been doing it with with many contacts for the past, I guess, five or six years, and I've only really taken it more seriously as a business over the past six months or so. So with that, your three questions was somebody that's just getting into business. Second question was someone that's hit a you know plateau. Third question is maybe they're you know reaching an end point. So first question would be you know just fail forward, you know, like John Maxwell's book, fail forward. I mean, literally I've had so many businesses that have been successful and so many businesses that have not, especially in the earlier years, um, just starting, um, bringing a team of people together or being a solopreneur and starting it on my own, but not being afraid to fail. Um, Just, you know, limit your losses as much as possible. A lot of people build up this limitation where they think they need a hundred thousand dollars to start a business. Um, you know, whatever it is, there's generally a way to, to make it for a lot cheaper or at least run a prototype. I had a friend who wanted to do a, a coffee business, uh, like a delivery service. And he was, you know, he gave me a business plan and a pitch deck and he's like, I need 200 grand. I'm like, dude, you can do this for like 5k, you know, <laughs> like let's go to a coffee place. We'll do a, a small test. You know, we'll get you some coffee beans. We'll relabel it. You know, we'll do all this stuff and then we'll run some ads and we'll reach out to a whole bunch of potential clients, see if we can get distribution and then go from there. And there's a lot of excitement and creativity and having a new idea and just trying to make it work on a very, very small scale. And when you do that, you don't have such a fear or anxiety about starting something new. It becomes a much more enjoyable process opposed to an awful experience. I mean, who wants that stress and anxiety 
that can come with, you know, that massive weight or that massive burden. Um, so that's what I would really recommend for, for new entrepreneurs. Also, you know, reach out to whether it's a coach or whether it's, you know, your uncle who's built a couple of businesses or your cousin who is an entrepreneur or, you know, somebody that's just progressing in a direction that you want to pursue. And you don't have to, you know, set up a really professional coaching or mentorship relationship with them, but just go to the right people for the right advice. It's funny because my mom's a teacher um, and she's an elementary school teacher and I can't go and talk to her about business. You know, she's an amazing teacher, but I can't go and ask her for advice because she thinks everything that I do is absolutely crazy. Right. So what do I go to her for? It's like, you know, family advice or, you know, whatever I'm working through at that point. So be cautious of who you're going to for, for insight and advice on what you want to pursue. Make sure that they have the correct mindset um, to be able to provide you with proper advice. And then books, audios, definitely just build you as a person. You're the most important asset in your life. And if you don't build yourself, nobody's going to build your business. I've invested over $100,000 into my personal development through like personal transformation coaches or leadership seminars. And I will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars more, millions of dollars more, because it's, it's so important. So focus on you, grow you, network with great people, build relationships, think of great ideas, brainstorm great ideas with your friends, and then don't be afraid to just take a running leap at it. Second would be um, if you've hit a plateau, great, great spot to reach out to a coach or mentor or, you know, somebody you can rely on because there's a reason that you hit that plateau. I always think of typically when someone's also reached, you know, a middle point in their business, they are really stressed out. They're working so many hours. Um, Say they've got a team of, you know, I'm thinking of somebody between, you know, five and 10 or 15 people and they're working 16, eight, 16 hours a day. And I always think it's scale. So would, you know, you, you find that super stressful and anxious and you don't know how to go to the next level. But if you were to put somebody else in your shoes, like Jeff Bezos or, you know, Richard Branson, he owns over 450 companies, you know, that would be the easiest day they've ever had. So when people talk to me and they're like, how do you run four businesses? It's like, well, Richard Branson has 450. I mean, this is nothing, (laughs) right? So I need to change my mindset. So people that have hit a plateau, they need to change their mindset. And typically they need to be able to take a step back and stop working from in the business so much and start working on the business and being more creative, creating better systems and processes so that they can scale their company, rely on people more instead of relying on themselves more. And then reach out to somebody who's who's got a better mindset, not a better mindset, but a different mindset that can that can help you overcome those plateaus. And then your third, your third, um, you know, can you repeat the third question? It was, you know, the end point of a business. It was actually the first it was actually um, before those two steps. The first question was for somebody who's considering starting a business. But I think you kind of covered it with starting a business. But it's just, I find that, you know, I wrote down this term, limiting beliefs. And that came up when I was looking through your profile. And it's almost like I felt the same way with this podcast or with anything, really. The hardest part is just to start. So I thought we could just discuss a little bit for somebody who's considering starting something, but aren't really sure what to do. 
we're just talking about limiting beliefs in general. I, mean, I find it so interesting, human psychology, like how we can create these paradigms and they will limit us in such a great way. And it can be something from a relationship or, you know, you, you get on, you know, even your parents calling you shy throughout your life. So then you believe that you're shy and for you to become confident, it's like such a limiting belief that you need to overcome from that's almost considered trauma, right? Because it's, it's a trauma is a strong emotional response to something. And that was an extremely strong emotional response that you ingrained it into your personality. Even people that are super extroverted will consider themselves shy. Really like limiting beliefs, in my opinion, is the, is the greatest thing that you can do is acknowledge it. As soon as you've acknowledged it, then you can begin to work on it. But there's so many people that don't realize that they have limiting beliefs that they need to work on you know like and they're hard to identify sometimes sometimes they're subconscious so I really recommend like meditation journaling you know thinking about that uh, as far as you know starting something really write down you know what are the reasons as to why you want to start it and what are the reasons as to like what's holding you back from starting it and that'll provide you with a lot of clarity because you're going to most cases, you're going to talk about all the great things that could occur from starting this podcast. You know, you can meet so many amazing people. You can generate income. It'll be great for your business. It'll be really fun. You'll love, really enjoy it. Like the, the, the positives are amazing. And then it's like, well, what's holding me back? It's like, oh, I'm scared of putting myself online. Oh, I'm, you know, maybe I won't be able to interview people or it'll be really hard or this or the other thing. And, you know, you can just pick apart every single one of those limiting beliefs or the reasons that you don't want to do it. In some cases, the reasons you don't want to do it might be greater than why you want to do it. And then you might change direction, which is totally fine, which happens with a business quite frequently. People will start businesses that they don't even want to build for the long term. And then they end up hating their life or choose a career where they should have done a better job in the beginning, realizing if they want to pursue it or not. But, you know, something as simple as, you know, I'm scared to talk in front of people or I'm scared to put myself out there or network, then, you know, if you've got them, if you want to, you know, it's again, it's a, it's a choice. Like if you choose to want to overcome that, then you can, and then you can boil it down into small things. I hate public speaking. I'm terrified of public speaking. So I identified that. And then I said, okay, Tom, how are you going to overcome public speaking? You're going to go to Toastmasters <laughs> and you're going to be forced to talk in front of people. And that's how I started. So identify your fear, identify your limiting belief, maybe work with someone on finding that and then start small. For me, it was just initially becoming more confident in conversations because I had a lot of social anxiety. So becoming more comfortable doing sales presentations and then just have, you know, having conversations firstly, then, you know, presenting in front of people, but just chipping away at it. Everything is a muscle and it needs to be grown and needs to be developed. Yeah. I think a lot of that boils down to just being comfortable with being uncomfortable and just sort of pushing through whatever it is that's holding you back. And like, I do a lot of stuff with fitness too. Like I talk to guys about fitness and it's a similar thing. Like you're never going to run a marathon if you don't run one K and you know, it's, you know, you see those guys running marathons, you think, Oh, they must just be the most amazing athletes on the planet. But what I realized, like I'm a horrible runner, but I've dedicated time to it. And what I've realized is it's not that hard for them because they run that much, you know, yeah. so the, the more you do it, the more you train, 
the better you get. It's not like they're pushing as hard as I am to run 40K. I mean, maybe they are because obviously they're at that level to run it that fast. But if they were to run 40K the same speed as me, it would be a breeze. So, yeah. you know, it's it's just kind of, it's really interesting when you bring it back to perspective and training. And, you know, that just seems like you're training for, you know, your future. How do you think that people can find their best potential, let's say, so something they're really good at and that they like? Because if you're going to succeed, you, you sort of need to like what you're doing and you kind of have to be good at it too, or at mm-hmm. least you know, have some edge in that area. So what do you think for that? Cause that's hard for people. Yeah, it, it can be for sure. And just to, to add on to what you were mentioning about, you know, running is, I think we also build up the goal or what we want to do to be something much bigger than it is. You know, you don't have to go run an ultra marathon the first day. It's like, you know, 150 kilometers. Why don't you just go for a five minute walk? 10 minute walk, 15 minute walk and build up slowly, right? If you want to start a podcast, why don't you just think of the name of the podcast, you know, buy a mic, play around with it, right? Just have conversations with friends, you know, start small, go from there. Then you can start moving faster and faster. Um, As far as, you know, figuring out your, your strengths and weaknesses or what you want to pursue. You know, I loved what you said. If you, if you, if you want to build something or if you want to go far with something, you have to enjoy what you want to, what you're going to do. Right. And that's so true. You're not going to be able to have the, the energy, the stamina, the endurance to push through a lot of pain, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of hard times to be able to build a company, you know, that could be also relevant to sports, but mainly talking in the business world. So finding something that you love and, I wouldn't say love or like passion because, you know, passion in my eyes is, is really developed, but something that you don't hate all of the time, <laughs> I think is a great place to start. Um, there's always going to be, I think 80, 20 rule applies in this space where 20% of the time, you're not going to enjoy it. 80% of the time you should really focus on enjoying it and choosing something that you will enjoy 80% of the time. The stuff, if you're building a business, delegate the stuff that you don't enjoy doing as much as you possibly can to assistants or virtual assistants or to your team. Focus in your strength zones uh, instead of your weaknesses. What what gives you energy? You know, when you do something and you finish that call or you finish that meeting, maybe it was uncomfortable, but you feel very energetic after it. Um, or you're excited to something that's coming up in your business or something that you're doing in your life. If it's giving you energy, then it's it's something that you're going to be pulled towards. It's very hard to push something for a long distance, but if you're being pulled towards something, it's a lot easier. So I would focus on on that. Analyze your strengths and weaknesses. You know where where do where do you perform well? Where do you don't you know where do you not perform well? Um, and then go step by step from there. Yeah, I think you have to be honest with yourself. I know that I'm not going to play in the NHL. It's just you know I'm too old. I was never good enough. Like, it's just not going to happen. I could go shoot pucks all day and I will not make the NHL 100%, no matter how hard I work. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other avenues that I could take that I might enjoy just as much. So, I mean, when you say write down your strengths and weaknesses, I think that's really important and a good point to make. Um, One thing I wanted to note on that, that I found interesting, even just, you know, it's funny because I always come back to this this podcast because it's really the only thing that I've done that hasn't been like career oriented or 
you know, a salary or whatever. It's just kind of a side project. One thing that I noticed that other people told me is that, you know, motivation, it's not a linear stream, you know, it's motivation is just as volatile as the commodity market. You know what I mean? Some days I'm like super keen. I'm putting out shorts on YouTube. I'm like doing this, I'm going on Reddit. And then other days I'm like, you know what? I just like, I'm not really that into promoting today. You know, it's just, it's funny how motivation works, but if you like what you're doing, you're going to continue on even through those low days, even if you're not quite as productive. So what do you think about motivation and staying motivated? Do you have any tips for people? I, I take a two approach on that one. I think everything is individualized and individualistic. Like say I'm coaching someone or working with someone like myself, I have a tendency to overwork and I will ignore emotions 99% of the time. And I'll just push through all day, every day, and I will burn out super hard. So for me, motivation has never been something I've considered because it's just, you do it. I don't care how I feel. You just push through endlessly. My, my business coach has actually taught me to slow down and listen to my feelings more and be more intuitive and, you know, allow myself more grace. And with that, it's actually allowed to me to perform at a much higher level. So, but then there's also the flip side of it where, you know, you could be a little bit more of a procrastinating person. You don't, you know, want to work as much. You listen to your feelings too much. I, I hired a, a new assistant like six months ago and he's like, Tom, what do you do when you just don't feel like it? And I asked him a few questions to see like a little bit about his life and his mindset and identified like, Hey, this guy needs to push, you know, he doesn't need to slow down. He needs to push harder. And then I was like, Tyson, why are you listening to your feelings? He's like, well, I don't know, like you're supposed to, I'm like, well, why don't you just not listen to them and just do whatever the hell you want anyways. I mean, if you're in the military and you know, your Sergeant says, Hey, go and do this, go over there. And you're like, meh, I don't really feel like it. I mean, I would say 90% of people listen to their feelings way too much. You know, I think of the Spartans, you know, like when did emotion become such a big play in, in what we want to accomplish with our life? For me, it's all about responsibility. It's about goals. It's about pursuit. Feelings is just a byproduct. If I feel great, great. If I don't, no problem. But there is a double-edged sword with that. Sometimes you do need to slow down and give yourself some grace. But yeah, I agree. I think that probably most of us can push harder than we are, but it is difficult you know, when you have responsibilities and a work-life work life balance comes into play, especially for people with families and you, you want to be careful not to overwork yourself so you don't have any energy left for, you know, the people you care about and you, you want to make sure that time is well spent. So it is very difficult, but it isn't, you know, it's one of those things where you really got to think about your goals. So, I mean, when we talk about goals, like you know, what's your goal? You're at four businesses and I'm assuming you want to grow those, but do you want to keep pushing through? Do you have a plateau in mind or are you just going to just keep going and keep going and pushing through and growing? Yeah, definitely a lot more. I mean, I'm just getting started in my opinion. I want to have hundreds of companies. I look at, I look up to people. I, I use comparison in in the most positive aspect as I can. I can, when I go snowboarding, I want to snowboard with a professional snowboarder. I don't want to play with people that are, you know, the same speed as I am. I have no interest in that. I want to push myself as hard as I possibly can to, to succeed and pursue what I want to pursue. 
So when I compare myself, I compare myself to, you know, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Tim Cook, major, major entrepreneurs, because that's the same impact that I want to have with my life. I want to, you know, innovate. I want to inspire. I want to progress mankind. So, you know, my goal is to have hundreds of companies, hundreds of companies that are primarily focused in technology and the advancement of the human race, in my opinion. And then, you know, some companies are just going to be financial to, to create the revenue and the capital to be able to push on those other businesses that are very innovative. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the significance and fulfillment that I have in my life is going to come from coaching and mentorship and the relationships that I have with people. So I want to mix in a Tony, as Tony Robbins aspect of that into my life where I do seminars, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, I do group sessions, I do some books, some podcasts, because all of these entrepreneurs I've mentioned have had such a tremendous impact on my life in so many different ways, even though I've never met them. I truly want to be able to provide, you know, a small, small fraction of that to, you know, people that may look up to me, people that are inspired with what I've done. And I want to be a part of that, you know, progression. So those are my dreams and goals is to, to pursue technology, um, you know, finances to pursue my dreams and goals, and then coach and mentor on a, on a global scale. So where are you looking for the next company? What, do you, what kind of industries are you poking around at? That's a great question. Right now, I got to admit, these four are keeping me awfully busy. I'm an advisor for a few companies. Uh, the next company, I'm going to scale these four. And then I'll probably be looking into some more leading edge technology. But I'm a very opportunistic person. So it really depends on the relationships that I have with business people, it really determines, you know, what's going on in the marketplace. I would say for the foreseeable future over the next six months to a year and a half, two years, I'm really going to be focused on these four and scaling them. That's going to take the vast majority of my time. If some great opportunity comes up with some of my business contacts, then I would jump on it. But at this time, I don't foresee like, hey, I'm going to be starting this business Within my investment fund, I do want to diversify into a technology venture capital firm within Squadra. And then I will also have a real estate investment fund as well and a cryptocurrency traded fund. So those in themselves are pretty much miniature businesses because I've got to form a team and put in the foundation and the structure. And then I've got business verticals planned for, for NXT Digital. Again, those are going to be you know pretty much mini businesses within that company. And yeah, so so at this moment, subsidiary companies within the ones that I have, and then if anything comes up, I'll I'll take it on as well. But don't want to get spread too thin at the same time. Yeah, for sure. What's the general outlook in your circle of friends? Not that I'm, you know, asking for too much information with climate change and climate technology, carbon capture, solar, wind all these different alternative energy sources and oil, um, oil and gas in Canada, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Canadian oil personally, because I think for energy security purposes, we are one of the best bets us in the U S but what is it? What's the kind of general feel out there for the climate change type of discussion? I know you're in BC, so that's kind of a, a good spot to look. Mm-hmm. As far as climate change as a whole, 
I am not well versed in that space, but I do work with a couple very interesting projects. One is a synthetic fuel project. Um, I believe, you know, we need to adopt more synthetic fuel that burns a lot cleaner, <laughs> burns a lot cleaner. Um, there definitely needs to be innovation in the oil and gas space to, to reduce the general fossil fuels. Um, you know, carbon credits is a very interesting space at the moment. Definitely not an expert in that, but work with a Bitcoin mining operation in the U.S. that is utilizing uh, wind, wind power for these operations. So they get a lot of advantages with the carbon credits and tax credits. Um, I'm an advisor for a circular economy project based out of the U.S., with a very innovative technology aspect for building, you know, circular economies and circular resorts where it's, you know, end to end, you know, the desalination plants, um, growing their own food, having, you know, garbage recycled and, and biofuel on, on the resort, um, holistic medicine, um, these very interesting innovative projects that are, you know, they want to be carbon zero as much as possible, as much benefit to the to the world and global warming as possible with all of their sourcing for products and and services. So I find those very, very interesting projects as well. Yeah, it was actually carbon credits that got me to start a blog in the first place. Oh. And um, that progressed into this podcast. I actually have Peter Sainsbury coming up and we're going to talk about voluntary carbon credits and kind of that industry. I think there's a lot of potential there as well. It's really interesting. I mean, with that being said, I was just sort of looking for the general like feel like, cause I, I've sort of thought that once COVID was out of the mainstream media, we would probably revert back to climate change. And then we'd have all these businesses saying, you know, we got to get to net zero we got to do all these things to fight climate change. But of course, the war in Ukraine broke out. So that, you know, climate change kind of takes a back seat when there's a war as it should. So, you know, if the war ever calms down, you know, I, from a macro perspective, I have no idea what's going to happen over there and what, how that's going to filter through the rest of the world. But let's say that that world that war stops in a couple of years. Do you think climate change will take over the media? I hope so. I think that would be really beneficial. Yeah, I think climate change should be a very important topic that many people are talking about and, and improving on. I love, you know, the ESG projects and the ESG investment funds where they're primarily looking for, for environmentally friendly projects. Um, I think that's very important for the sustainability of, of Earth, right? So... I think it should be a discussion that's had a lot more frequently and a lot more focus should be on that opposed to, you know, just the general media, in my opinion, is, is, is horrible. It's so negative all the time. would much prefer much more positive and constructive uh, media outlets. Not that, you know, to say that the, the war is not important. Of course, it's extremely important. Um, but I just believe general media and the attention of the world is is focused on things of relative unimportance or negativity opposed to important and, and constructive. 
Yeah, and controversy gets you views, so there's always that. Yeah, drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. And the whole clickbait and everything. That being said, I think that we've covered a lot of ground. Um, If you want to just let the listeners know if if they're interested in, you know, any of your four companies or if they want to find you on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, just let them know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at tommays.com. Got my four companies listed there. And then, so you can explore those if you're interested in that. And then I'm on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Greatly appreciate it. No problem. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. 